Hey there, welcome to Your Basket is Empty, a space where I sit down with interesting people in D2C, e-com and tech. I'm your host, Tim. So this is series three of 2021 and I'm returning to the agency world. Over the month of August, my guests and I will explore what it's like to grow and navigate a business through the complexities and challenges of an evolving digital landscape. On this episode, I chat with Liz Whitney, agency world master and founder of Cove, a consultancy and coaching business that focuses on tech and creative companies. We reflect on the challenges modern agencies face, why coaching helps you become a better consultant, the importance of enjoying the journey, the key ingredients to a successful agency, creating employee personas to help navigate the new hybrid working environment, and what the ideal agency model looks like. Before we get into it, quick word from my sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Clavio, Clavio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. Whether you're launching your e-commerce business or taking your brand to the next level, Clavio gives you the tools to get growing faster. That's why it's trusted by over 30,000 e-commerce brands. Build your contact list, send emails that pop, and create marketing moments that build valuable customer relationships over any distance. Get started for free today. Visit clavio.com slash your basket is empty to create your free account. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O.com slash your basket is empty. Enjoy the episode. Liz, welcome to the podcast. How are you and where are you? Oh, hey, Tim. I am good. Thank you very much for inviting me on the podcast. I am in Hackney, good old East London, um, in my flat, which has been my four walls for the last... uh, well, as everyone has for the last two years, but I was actually doing this a lot longer. So when the pandemic hit, I was like, welcome to my world, everyone working from home. Uh, so yeah, that's where I am. Uh, nice. And have, have, has ha, how much have things changed from your working from home environment, given that you were kind of in that pre-pandemic? Yeah, I was doing sort of Monday, when Tuesday, Wednesday at home. And then Thursday, Friday, I'd go out and meet clients, um, you know, in various places around town doing coaching sessions. So it was Thursdays and Fridays were bobbing around town a lot. And a lot of time was wasted traveling, I have to admit. Mm. Um, So Mm -hmm. now I spend way more time at home, but I'm way more productive, less, less lost travel time. So I'm actually, I'm actually really enjoying it. And also this, the virtual coaching via Zoom, I haven't felt that we've lost anything through doing it in a virtual meeting obviously you don't get the energy that you get when you're in the room with someone but the the problems that you experience when you have to try and find coaching spaces are, are kind of just taken out of the room because you you know you already have a private space you've got people's of full course. attention yeah um, yeah, you don't yeah. have any interruptions and I think that's that's it's made it so much easier yeah of course you're in your own little kind of like virtual cocoon little bubble <laughs> is, yeah 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 um all right, I, I usually start these things uh, in, in a similar place, and that is to do a bit of a rewind. So that's what I'd like to do first. And I'd love to, or for you to talk me through your agency journey, and then ultimately how this led to the creation of Cove. Oh, God. Okay, I I uh, left, well, how far back do you want me to go? Like Let, <laughs> Let's go above, you know, uh, 15 <laughs> years, maybe old. Yeah, right, pre-15, okay. we'll leave for another podcast. Yeah. Okay. So I, I started out in agencies in sort of one of my first careers. It was, I didn't even know agencies were a thing and the design sector was a thing uh, when I left uni, but I kind of drifted into it and then thought, Do you know what, this is a great uh, combination of sales, consulting with sort of looking for client needs um, and also creativity. And I, I just fell into that and I loved it. And I, I did a bit of everything from 
good old days of print and direct response, uh, point of sale, events, TV, broadcast, graphics, animation, even moving then on into partnerships. And then finally, digital product development, where I was at Us2. And Us2 was my final agency where I worked full time. And that was back in 2013. And gosh, that was a ride and a half. They were going through a massive transformation from being a sort of a digital design agency to being a product development agency. And I was part of the leadership team there. And I'd say it was kind of, do you know when you, there's only a few moments in my career where I've had like that peak cultural um, vibe of an agency where it feels so aligned with your values and the people there don't feel like work colleagues they feel like friends and family mm. um, and I just it was just amazing we went through a hell of a ride it was tough work we went through a massive transformation as, as a studio in terms of both the, the, the culture the, the size the scale the types of clients the proposition and I was um, you know on that ride with the leadership team and, and, and massive a part of that that change um, and I, I got, uh, yeah, I felt like I peaked. <laughs> I was like, if I leave anywhere else and go anywhere else after that, I think it's going to be a very sh- a poor shadow of this experience. And I felt like I didn't want to do that and move on to another agency. Um, and I didn't also want to be doing the next job up from me. I looked at my boss, the MD, and I was like, God, I don't know if I want to do your, I don't know if I want to do your job, you know. Um, so as a commercial director, I, I, I kind of was a bit like, I don't know. Um, thinking what next and I did have that kind of what next moment and I felt a little bit lost Um, a massive generalist uh, so really good at you know the sales the pitching the proposition the strategy but I wasn't really hands-on with the clients Um, so I I was kind of the commercial person which is was you know is is a specialism in itself but I definitely felt like a generalist Mm -hmm. Um, and that career path felt a little bit narrow for me Where, where do I go from here we then got sent on some coach training. Um, so the whole leadership team were put together from, from all the global offices. And we went off to Norfolk and stayed in some retreat for, for four days. And we got given coach training and then sent off into the forest to do walk and talks with our colleagues. And after each session, I got feedback from my colleagues, which was, oh, Liz, you're really good at this. Mm. You've really helped me. Thank you. And I suddenly realized I had this kind of like aha moment. And it wasn't just, oh, coaching's amazing. It was like, oh, coaching is my future career. And this is what I need to move into rather than going down the agency path any further. So I, um, there was a, a, an opportunity for me to, uh, there was a bit of a reshuffle in the leadership team, which I kind of was getting to the point of going, I'm not enjoying the journey anymore. So I think it's time for me to leave because that was one of the values. And it's one of my values, enjoy the journey. And I was like, yep. it's, not, it's not being met anymore. So it's time for me to get out. Um, and I, I left and I trained as a coach um, and I, I spent six months trying to work out, like, how do I sell myself? How do I get out there and do this? And quite naturally went back to an agency audience to talk to them about coaching and working with them in a kind of dual role. So half coach, but also half commercial specialist um, and balancing those two things to see how I can help. And I um, first first thing I did was put together a little bit of a mini pitch. <laughs> I was like. Right, I've got a fake website that I'm creating, total lean startup vibe. Let's just make something up and test it. Um, and I took it to a couple of different agency owners to um, see what they thought of the proposition and get some feedback. And one of those was James Haycock at Adaptive Lab, who were 
um, in an interesting stage of growth at that point. And we're just about to, they, they wanted to grow, but they were struggling. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I, I went in and had a chat with him and he gave me some feedback on my rubbish website that I'd mocked up. <laughs> and, and then, you know, it was enough of a chat though, that he said, he called me the next day and said, how much are you and when can you start? Um, and they went from there. So there you go. That's how my coaching and consulting career took off. And that's how I got out of agency. That sounds like a very clever pitch strategy to me. Oh, uh, you know what? <laughs> Reading the lean startup and then putting it into <laughs> oh, there practice. You go. Eric Reese was onto something, was he? There he you was. go. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm curious as to, and, and we'll get on to, to more of the coaching and the agency kind of split as, as we continue the conversation. But like, w- was there a point at which the kind of commercial specialist versus the coaching, was it one or the other? Or was it you, you kind of had the coaching itch to scratch and that was your kind of arrow in and then you obviously came with a, um, a, a fortunate, <laughs> um, incredibly positive baggage and that is, you know, commercial specialism. So when you become a coach, you change your mindset, your, your whole approach and how you show up changes. So you're always a coach. Um, but you also have a wealth of experience that you add to that. And that's why every coach is different because they have their experience and then plus coaching on top. And it's coaching is how you show up and how you help others. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's more of a mindset and, and, a, and an approach and, and sort of how you help rather than always a service. So what I tried to do was separate the two things out. So I would be like, when I first started four days a week working with Adaptive Lab, and I'm going to be coach consultant there but mostly consultant and I'm mm-hmm. I'm going to be not just doing uh, you know planning the work but doing the work as well and then on Fridays it was my pure coaching day and that's where I take on coaching clients and it would just be coaching conversations so I really kind of split split the way that I was selling things so that it was boundaried and that I was I may have been more consulting and then a little bit coach and then over time what I did is I split I, I, I dialed down the consulting to sort of three days and then did two days coaching and now I'm pretty much kind of all coaching, but some work is a bit more consulting focused and some is a bit more co- coaching, pure coaching. So it's it's an interesting ride. But I think if you try and go from one job to another and just try and throw everything into 100% of that new thing, you're actually going to really struggle. So uh, it's good to have a, ba- a balance of half and half um, or, or 70 or 80, 20 when you first start out so that you're not letting go of your past, you're bringing it with you. Yes, a, a, a diversified portfolio. That's um, right. <laughs> so, so I, I'm, I'm, I, I'd love to understand. And, 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 and as a side note, um, my mum's an executive coach, so I'm Is familiar she? with the world. Yes, she's an excellent uh, executive coach, and she did something very similar. She was a, um, uh, she was supply chain director for Kellogg's Europe, and then quit that again. I think if you were to ask her, she was not enjoying the journey anymore both <laughs> literally and figuratively she had to travel a long long way to get to work and then she's she quit it and she went out and she's become a coach and now she's got her own coaching consultancy and she loves it and so i'm really and since she did that like i don't know sort of must be like four years ago i've naturally sort of tended towards i kind of knew what a coach was before but she's just opened my eyes to the the incredible positive possibility so i'm totally with you but i'd love to understand like have you got a specific like coaching ethos and process or or is it different in every situation it's different in every situation there's i guess my i don't know my, my ethos is i'm here to help you grow and so i'm always looking to bring people up and help them see things that they can't see 
and I do that for in a as a as a coach and as a consultant. I'm I'm looking for paths to help people grow, um, and it's yeah, it's it, I challenge, I provoke, I push buttons. I'm trying to find the things that you you know. I'm trying to remove the blockers, and if that's a person blocker, we we, we need to work through that and help mm-hmm. that person. Um, elevate themselves so yeah well I work with teams and I work with individuals it's very different you have to take a different approach whatever you're doing um but the coach I'm always thinking like a coach um but you can't you cannot plan it up front you I tried this I started thinking oh I've got a coach program laid out for you as soon as you get into that first conversation you realize that's completely wrong thing to do and you should just let go of it and then let the person that's being coached direct and and set the set the intention for where they want to go my my job is to be a bit of a guide and to create the right frame frameworks and the right conversations to happen I'm always thinking what's the next thing that needs to happen Mm. so that the other person can think about what they're doing and really just think um so it's really creating that space for the other person to think and that's really what a coach does and from your perspective and experience as far it is do you have thoughts on what makes a perfect coach coach e relationship? Uh, well, yeah, I think you've got to have rapport um, and trust. And although a lot of people, you know, there's a lot of, of, of research, you don't have to be part of the industry that you're coaching. You don't have to have any experience in it whatsoever to be a good coach, because what happens is that you're looking, you know, if you, if you're looking for someone who's got experience in your industry, what you're looking for is a mentor, mm. not a coach. But the reality is a lot of people do look for coaches that understand their industry because it is a shortcut to rapport and it's a shortcut to understanding. So you don't have to over-explain things that are happening because the coach just gets it. Um, and I think a lot of people who come into coaching, they also want a tiny bit of mentoring as well. So it's a bit of a, you, you want someone that can give you a bit of both. And I think that's where a lot of people look for when they ask for a coach um, but it's not essential. And actually, there is a huge benefit in having people completely outside of your industry because they don't bring any bias and they don't bring any um, held views. Mm. They're just they're just they're there and being very neutral and they can give you new perspectives, which you might not be able to see um, from someone who's already in your industry. So there's, there's pros and cons for the, for the coaching relationship and the background of the coach. But the most important thing is that you enjoy the conversation and you trust them. And. I'm always intrigued and I don't think I've talked to my mom about this, but I'd love to understand from your perspective, like firstly, how do you stay up to date with like coaching theory and process and the field itself? And then do you have a coach? <laughs> like how does the coach, is there a coach of a coach and, and how far does that go if you do have one? Yes. Uh, every coach has a coach. Most of them do anyway because you understand the benefit of it it's something you would invest in so it is yeah I do have a coach um so and she helps me reflect she helps me plan she helps me think through behaviors or things that I'm doing I can talk through coaching issues with her that I'm experiencing so she acts as a bit of a supervisor and um I learn from her as well so it's it's nice to be challenged and to think about things in a different way um, but yeah, coaching is a is a very broad field and there's so many different aspects to it that you kind of, you could get lost in all the theory. Um, but what I tend to do is if I find something that is particularly interesting, for example, neuroscience, 
I yeah. will obviously read a book. Um, I'll look for some training courses that I think are good. And I invest in those because as a self-employed, um, you know, business owner, there's no one else going to be sitting there going, Liz, I think you should uh, invest in this training course. Mm. You have to do that yourself. Mm. Um, so, it, and I think it's important that you do that. So I've, over the last, I, I do at least one decent training course over, over a year. Um, and, you know, it could be facilitation. It could be using a completely different type of coaching, like systemic coaching. Um, or it could be uh, going to a coaching conference to actually go and, you know, talk to other coaches and network. But you, there is, there's a huge amount to learn. And that's why I think it's so interesting because you just can't learn it all. And you really do need to kind of find a specialism or, or find some things that are really interesting and just keep absorbing the information um, and learning from other people and how to put it into practice. I'd like to just switch gears ever so slightly and, and sort of um, focus on the, the agency piece of the experience. And yeah, go on. I'd love to, <laughs> I'd love to start by sort of like, um understanding do you see or have you seen any key ingredients to a successful agency uh yeah i do i do see the key ingredients firstly right people right roles um there's the the ones that always succeed are where they the, the core founding group have really kind of nice complementary roles There'll be one person focused on tech, one person focused on design, mm -hmm. and one person that's a bit more kind of in the middle that can do strategy, product, commercials. Yep. Yep. Great mix. And then they don't step on each other's toes and they can grow their teams in, in the right ways. Um, so right people, right roles, and the right starting team, I think, is really good. Um, the second is a tight proposition. Like so many agencies have got a wishy-washy proposition that says nothing and sounds like everyone else. And I'm like, guys, have you even looked at the internet to see what everyone else is saying <laughs> and how much this is just jargon and the same as everyone else? Yeah. Because because your client, if you think about a client looking for an agency, they're going to go and search all these little websites and go, oh yeah, and they can't tell you apart. So you have to stand out. You have to say something different, and don't follow the mold of everyone else because otherwise you just look like a cookie cutter website. Um, and a cookie cutter agency. So the ones that I think really work are those who have a standout proposition um, and they stick to it. They stand for something and it, it feels different. Um, I think the other thing is about leaders who know their own weaknesses and they hire for people to take areas where they can't, they, they know that they're not strong. So people, you get some leaders who'd like to maintain control over everything. Mm -hmm. They really struggle to scale. <laughs> so they, they hold on to everything and they can't, they can't let go of control. So leaders who empower others and hire people at the right time to, to grow, they are the ones that are successful. Um, and the ones who then invest and actually know how to have a strategy there's a lot of people out there that just don't have a strategy. They're reacting to client needs. They don't mm. know where they're going. They don't have a vision. They don't have a strategy to make it happen. And they don't hold anyone to account. And you're like, well, okay, so you can keep just reacting to client projects that come in. But where are you going? Why are you going there? And what does growth look like? And how are you going to make it happen? Um, there's a lot of, there's, I see a lot of that. So the people that do that well are the ones that get to the growth um, and the exits that they're looking for. 
so interesting so much to unpack there uh, my, my, <laughs> my, my immediate thought was uh getting to the kind of the branding and positioning piece um, yeah we did that oh it must have been a couple of years ago so it was like you know uh proper uh workshop everything you know lap well not laptops down but like you know everything off we're going to sit in a room and, and thrash out like a, a sort of like a new positioning because we, we felt that it was it was needed and as best as we tried we could not avoid coming back to wanky terms <laughs> it was like it was like it was a predestined outcome and it was so difficult it was really really hard and and i i totally get it like you know being in the space and and seeing loads of agency positioning content um marketing websites whatever it is that there is such a common um sort of output there right in terms of the terminology and what people do and uh, yeah I, I i was so struck by how easy it was to just fall into that zone like it, it was it was so simple i think we managed to kind of get out of it by just not just not saying too much <laughs> like literally just cutting everything down to the, the, the core so it didn't get too sort of like um yeah too many wank terms but it was so so difficult <laughs> it was so difficult well, Tim, I actually uh, used We Make Websites as an example with another e-commerce agency I worked with recently. And you did actually come out in the reflective exercise as the one that had the strongest proposition because it was so single-minded. So, you know, the Shopify agency for international brands is so easy. I know exactly who you're for and who and what you do. So I, it's it's that I actually think you did a good job on that. So yeah, well, up. it don't was, beat yourself up. <laughs> well, it was like well, if you had seen the like the 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 the, the, the um the length of the 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 outtakes, <laughs> the amount of them, then then the cutting yeah, room floor. The cutting room floor was very very full. So my sense is that for a business model, an agency business model, which is very much pretty well, pretty much solely based on people. The agency world hasn't got a great track record of managing people. <laughs> why? Why do you think that is? Because nobody or do you has. Agree? Do you agree with that <laughs> yeah, statement? Yeah, yeah, no. Well, I don't know. I think it's changed more recently. Well, yeah, when I was first in the agency world, it was appalling um, because the agency world doesn't invest in training. Um, it doesn't invest in uh, people management because what it does is it takes people that are really good at being an individual contributor and then puts them into a leadership position without any kind of sense of, oh, do you know how to do people management? Do you have any idea how to do leadership? And then they go, oh, why is this all falling apart? Um, because the people at the top are making it up as they go quite a lot of the time in agencies. And I know because I was one of them. And I didn't didn't have any training. You've got the cat out of the bag just, there, Liz. Yeah. I know, yeah. but I, I, that's that's the work I've done. I was like, Christ, I've been thrown into this role, and I I, I think I'm okay at it. But I realised yeah. I wasn't. I, I, there were some gaps, and it was only through kind of going off and doing the training myself and actually investing in myself that I realised actually there's a bunch of people out there who are in the same position as me or used to be, who are now kind of yeah they're in those positions going I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know if I'm doing it right I don't even know what good looks like because the people above me aren't doing it very well and I think that is the problem with people management and the people kind of assist you know the the investment in people uh, in agencies now I do think it's changed a lot I think there's been a lot more investment in culture and people especially in more kind of modern cultural agencies and um, 
I, I always look back at Adaptive Lab and I was um, in awe of how they, uh, you know, they did their people initiatives and they really did care about the mm. culture and how they were building a really inclusive environment for everyone and, you know, invest in training, invest in coaching mm-hmm. for, for people as they grow. Um, and I think that's a bit more common now. Um, the old days, it was a bit, of, it was a bit of a wild west. Mm. <laughs> it was a bit of a wild west. And I think that the, the culture in the general environment has changed and agencies are catching up with that and maybe even leading that quite a lot. I, suppose, I mean, us too was, I think that was what made it so special is that they really did focus on people. Um, and even if it wasn't perfect, the, the care and the attention and the desire was there. And other than some of those things that you talked about, like training and coaching, have there been any other examples that you've seen that agencies have have really, I suppose, made the culture and the, the people bit work? So a, a good example would be maybe, have you seen that it works better when the general, I don't know, um, experience of the workforce is is higher as opposed to like a really sort of young team? Uh, I th- mm, tough one because you you do get uh, you do you always get a range of different age groups within agencies. That's mm. the way it works. I think what's been tough has been the remote nature of working the last two years, which isn't playing to the strengths of the younger um, w- workers because they they're not getting the opportunity to learn from their more senior counterparts in a sort of agile dynamic environment. And I think that's been challenging um but does it repeat the question i think i'm losing myself here <laughs> well no i suppose the well no it's exactly what you're talking about there i've i've found recently that the well over the last maybe 18 months the the the, the and it was a strategy to some degree of of kind of uh in terms of hiring higher more experienced people right uh, higher, yeah. higher higher more experienced more expensive people because <laughs> your 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 return on investment is going to be uh better and quicker basically you know but at the same time yeah you can't just hire the hot shots across the board we're going to have to and we want to have a a model where you hire less experienced people and have good training process and build them up right you want to have the the sort of the team where you've got the 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 the, the, the star players and then the people underneath them learning from them and you, you're building like a really successful you know uh team built for longevity but what i've was a bit of a misstep was like with this new sort of more experienced and i don't want to be ages but usually with experience it means older right and it means different stage of life and it means um different uh, expectations and maybe not necessarily values but things they kind of like uh mean more to them and a good example would be um we've got more people that have got kids <laughs> and the general uh, sense certainly at the leadership team because everyone's a bit older was like working from home is great because <laughs> yeah we've, we've all got nice houses or whatever you know or like relatively good environments and and it the, the sort of the teams or, or the people that, that weren't at that stage yeah totally missed out on the or didn't necessarily um like working from home as much so we've kind of had this um interesting feedback and and data that like because we've got a split workforce like you said every agency's got both kind of more senior people and older people and then younger people that trying to facilitate that multi-experience um kind of needs from a from a kind of like 
a package and a retention perspective is different. And yeah, we've, we've, <laughs> we've been struggling with that. I think, I mean, if I think back to my twenties in agency land, it, the culture, the togetherness, the, the sense of belonging that you get from being part of an agency team where everyone is kind of a similar age and you're all kind of learning your craft. And yes, there's some that we call adults in the room that were looking after the agency at that age. Um, <laughs> but the part of it was a drinking culture. And, you know, I think that's changed a little bit. Actually, we're moving away from a very heavy drinking culture and the togetherness and the presenteeism that we used to experience has all kind of disappeared in the last two years because of the pandemic. But I'm not sure if it should disappear going forward because it's a huge part of people's early career formation. And those natural conversations you have with people that are more senior than you or in different departments from you that you wouldn't normally have, you know, when you're in the kitchen, when you're going to the pub after work, they're really important to your Mm. growth. They're really important to your network as you then change careers later on. And without that, I think we're, we're not really helping the next generation in the way in the best way that we can just because it suits us to be working from home I'm very comfortable doing this but (laughs) I'm really comfortable doing this too comfortable I mean I went to the office a client office uh, on Monday Tuesday this week it was exhausting to be out of the house from nine till six and to be talking to people all day it was absolutely exhausting but it felt amazing to actually be in the room we got so much done and it, I, I, I was like, oh, do you know what? I need to do more of this because it's so easy to get locked into your your house and the comfort of, you know, not having to travel, not having to commute. But re- reality is we're missing a huge energy that we, we, we owe. I think we owe it to the people that are coming up after us to, to give them that energy as well and get out of our comfort zones a little bit. Um, so I, I think we have to kind of find a model that works because some people love working from home. Some people love working from a, a buzzy studio. Um, and it, it, we're, st- we're still in this very interesting phase of the pandemic where we're kind of doing half and half. Mm, mm. We're all but trying to I, figure it out. We're trying all trying to, figure to figure, everyone is trying to figure it out. So it used to be a homogenous employee experience where we had one employee experience and the, the rules and the boundaries were very clearly set for yeah. everyone. With maybe a couple of exceptions if you had children or if you yep. want to work part time. Yep. Now everyone is um, expecting and asking for an individual and employee experience. And it's very difficult to make everyone happy. Mm. Um, and I think everyone is at the moment trying to make everyone happy on an individual basis. And that's just not going to work. Um, so where I've seen uh, people moving towards is actually having kind of employee personas and then actually creating maybe sort of five different employee experiences, which are then you can nominate which one you want to fit into. And then instead of having to manage employee experience on an individual basis, you have a couple of personas that you're, man- you're managing, which can then be hybrid or all in the office or all at home um, or, you know, some sort of other um you know extension of that that persona and i think then that becomes a much easier thing to deal with because um otherwise you have infinite number of possibilities to manage in you know asking people to come in for an all agency meeting are we doing this are we doing this on zoom or are we doing this in the studio like come on so uh, i think agencies and and businesses in general are going to have to start setting some clearer boundaries and say these are these are expectations these are non-negotiables and then the negotiable bits, a bit where you get to choose which employment path or which employee experience path you want to go down. And then we can manage that and know exactly what we're doing. But otherwise, I think it's going to be a bit of a mess. <laughs> <laughs> I, 
that is so interesting. I love that employee persona concept because then you can kind of like everyone is involved in the conversation and you then have clusters of similar personas, right? And then you can yeah. manage a big team based on the clusters. So it's not, you know, scattergun. You've got the the kind of buckets that, that everyone kind of falls into and then it's it's an easy way to kind of deal with. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, we, we talked about it before we jumped on the call, but I, I want to zoom out a little bit and pose a, you know, slightly uh, high-level philosophical question. And that is, if you were to create your ideal agency, what would it look like? <laughs> That's such a big question too. <laughs> so ideal agency. Um, I think the biggest challenge when you run an agency is the headcount model. Mm. So in order to grow, you have to all add more headcount. And that is because we sell time and materials. Um, and there is a, uh, there's a kind of a, a, a limit to what you can charge people because everyone is, has a base rate for, um, you know, what's what's a day rate look like for this, this skill set. And when you do that, in order to grow, you have to grow headcount and then you have that kind of, are we doing it through full-timers or are we going to do it through freelancers and take a hit on margin? And, you know, these are the kind of decisions that, you know, you have when you're in an agency model. And I think if you were going to sort of do something different and really kind of do something a little bit unusual, you need to break away from that and actually not sell time, but sell value. Now, this is really easy to say, it's really hard to do because to prove value, you need to sell something. So it's a bit of a catch-22. And mm. um, like you're proving value. So maybe it's like ROI. So if you're an e-commerce agency, um, if we hit this kind of level of ROI, then we're going to get X bonus on top. So it's it's time plus is one model. Um but the other thing I do is really make it quite a um, an oversubscribed model. Um, I don't know if you've read the book by Daniel Priestley called Oversubscribed, but I loved no. it. Um, it applies really well to restaurants. And I was trying to make it work for service industry. And I was like, how do you make this work? And the only way you can make it work is if you fix the capacity of your agency. So you say, we're never going to get more than 40 people. Mm-hmm. And if people want to work with us beyond that, because we're really good at what we do, then there's a waiting list. Yeah. And that waiting list is very long. And once you're in, you know, you're in, um, but there is a commitment to be part of this. Um, and it's the sense of, uh, you know, the creating a demand for your services, which then makes clients um, understand your contracting quite early on and then desire it and buy into it. And they choose you because you offer something that's very specific. Um, I think you, it's a bit more kind of upfront in terms of selling the profile and selling the, selling the, the value that you create, but then, create a very small capacity so people desire it and you're always going to be busy and then it's not necessarily about growth through sort of oh let's do exponential growth with this model I think that's a lifestyle and that's a you know that's kind of maintaining a lifestyle kind of business but you could obviously set that up in multiple countries and have that as a a growth model if you wanted to maintain a sense of um, community and culture at a small scale so I think that's probably what I if I was ever going to do it I'd do I'd do that kind of vibe keep it small keep it exclusive, make it feel more like a members club than an agency that anyone can work with and um, sell value in some way rather than time. Yeah, that's really interesting. I love the idea of the the waiting list because I feel that there's probably an element where agencies use that idea, but they never really put it into reality. No, so in it's, reality, it's they'll work with anyone. Got exactly, exactly. Because <laughs> exactly. I'm just thinking about like, I think, 
and of course, you know, the, the reality is always, you know, a, a version of one of these things and you've got to tweak it and it depends on the, the sector and the sort of agency and all that sort of stuff. But like the, there's a common thing to, to use the, the capacity challenge as a selling tool, right? Like, well, you know, we're, we're in demand. So, you know, if you want to get moving, we need you to sign by the end of the week so we can book you into the schedule, which is usually true. <laughs> like as much as I think people like to, to, to sort of, um, uh, bolster the kind of like the the uh, the the fear of missing out concept, but if you were to really drill down and like enforce that, I think that would be incredibly interesting. And there must be, there must be. I imagine someone like a worker. There co, is like they must someone do that. doing it. I can't they must do it. it. Like working co got, must do it. They they must yeah. be so so sought after that it's just yeah you know. It's, there's, I don't even think there's an inquiry form or anything. You don't, you don't just go and sort of say, hey, I want to do a project with you guys. You know, you've got to know somebody to even get in the door. Exactly. And I love that. That's, that's the kind of exclusivity that I think is, it, it, makes, it makes work and clothes have this kind of, um, this, it, it gives it a sense of mystery, which I think is important in, in sort of creating that sense of, oh, I wonder what it's like to work with them. And that's the demand that you're looking for. That's the persona that you're looking for, a sense of mystery and, and a sense of uh, there's some sort of mystique here that I want to un- understand and be part of. Um, and I think that's uh, there's a couple of people that do it really well. I know there's one, one guy who's got, I think, 12, 12 people on his team and he only does 12 projects a year. Nice. Um, and it's very closed like that. And I, I always think, yeah, do you know what? He knows exactly what he's selling. He's he doesn't want to overwork. He's he's working for the right money. And it's I think it's, you know, with the growth model, when you go down the growth path, you can be doing a lot of work and turning, you know, really kind of killing yourself to do all this work. And then you look at the profit at the end of the year and you're like, 100 grand. Why did we do that much work <laughs> for a hundred grand profit? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> you know. And so it's just like you could have probably done a whole lot less work with a smaller team and a lot less complication and, and a lot more profit. So it's like, what are you trying to do? What's the purpose? Where are you kind of trying to get to? So I think, you know, healthy, sustainable business is what I would go for rather than a high growth. Let's uh, build it up and sell it only because I just don't. I think that the philosophy there is a little bit old fashioned and self-serving for the leaders and not the people that work there. Um, I much prefer to build and work with agencies that have a philosophy of let's build something sustainable um, that brings everyone up with us and is actually not about selling. It's about creating a platform that that allows everyone to grow. Um, And that's the sort of place that I would I'd be sort of want to be part of where, you know, that the alumni who work at your place are so so highly sought after that Mm. you've helped create the rest of their career. And I think that's the kind of place I'd create. So I suppose following on from that, then what would be the best piece of advice for anyone embarking on their own agency journey? Oh, bloody hell. Get a mentor or a coach to help (laughs) you avoid all of those pitfalls that you can make in the early days. Um, So, yeah, I think that's that's what my advice would be, because there's so many people who've been there and done it who can tell you all of the things that you don't know. Um, So I think if you are thinking about setting it up, Firstly, there is always, you always look at the market and think, oh, there's hundreds of agencies out there, whereas there's nothing for us to do. And it's like, yes, there is. There's always a space. The market is constantly changing. There's always people being absorbed into 
big tech, you know, big consultancies or selling or closing. So there's a huge, there's a huge opportunity if you want to get into it, but just be really clear about what your end goal is when you set up an agency, because it will dictate how the decisions you make early on and how you run it. So I think be really clear with your founders what the end game is, because if it's a, you know, fast growth and sell, totally different strategy to long game and mm. uh, let's let's just do some amazing work and create a place that everyone loves to work at switching gears slightly where is liz in 2023 and what is she doing oh my god hopefully not working as hard <laughs> i thought you were gonna say not working at all just like retire oh okay. do you know what i'd love that to be the case but i don't think it is um yeah part of my don't work as hard was to shift gear and become you know self-employed and set up my own business so i will be delivering award-winning leadership development programs i think for big tech companies i'm doing a big one at the moment um so i'll be doing a few more of those I'll probably be advising multiple agencies on their growth plans and, you know, being sitting on their board. And I will continue to coach leaders to be their best selves. So I think a bit more of the same, but with even more rigor and thought and experience to add to it. Well, watch this space, Liz. I think, <laughs> I think this is, that's a great place to end the conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. That was amazing. Thanks, Tim. It's been, been an absolute pleasure. There you go. Massive thank you to Liz for joining me. You can check her out at coveworks.co.uk. Before I go, a quick word for my sponsor, Clevio, the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for email and SMS messaging. If you want to learn more, go visit them at clevio.com slash your basket is empty. And as always, if you like the episode, please leave a review, subscribe, download, and tell all your mates to do exactly the same. I'll see you next time.